0: The following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Well, we're back in First Timothy this morning. First Timothy three. Uh, we're going to look of look at all of verse sixteen this morning. First Timothy three sixteen, and that's page. in the Pew Bibles. Um, And over the last few weeks, if you recall, we've been talking about some of the various elements of the organization of the organism, the organism that we call the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a a pillar and support of the truth. Verse 16 is our text this morning, and it's a wonderful summary of that truth that the church has been charged with holding up and displaying to the world. Uh, And just like the church has done for millennia, it displays that truth in a song. Um, So we're going to look at this ancient hymn of the faith, 1 Timothy 3.16, and then we'll pray. Paul writes, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Well, let's pray, and then we'll look closely at this this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for the privilege of your word and the privilege that we have of being able to read it freely, to discuss it, to uh, read what others have written about it and, and think about uh, your Word's application to our lives. Lord, we pray that your Spirit would guide us in this work this morning and uh, that you would reveal to us the truth um, of your Word this morning and that we would be changed as a result. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good in Jesus name. Amen. Well yes, so it has been quite a week. Um, uh, thank you uh, I'll take the water. I've had five gallons of coffee already in preparation. Well, we have a baseball game to get through get to after church, so I wanted to go quickly, so <laughs> got a lot of caffeine. Alrighty. Um So, yeah, just to report, um, uh, our, um, well, to spiritualize it, our outreach through uh, baseball um, has been, been met with great success so far. Um, Sammy's team, the Cardinals, the team I've been coaching, um, we uh, got to play uh, an extra baseball game, the championship game on Friday, and uh, our boys came through and and won the game, so very, very proud of them. And and they learned the secret to playing baseball successfully. It's that it's a game, and you should have fun. And uh, the hardware is just a bonus. Uh, and and we got that too. So uh, it was it was really wonderful. And I thank you for honestly. I thank you for your support. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In that in that ministry, because it really is a ministry to uh, to those young men and their families. Um, because of are not just teaching kids to play baseball, but helping develop character um, and uh, hopefully uh, eventually leading um, kids and their families to Christ. Um, so I thank you for uh, the the freedom that I enjoy to be involved in that ministry. It's quite a blessing to me, uh, and I hope it will be to them in the long run. Uh, and we reserved all these seats over here for the team uh, this morning, I guess. Yeah, maybe they'll be here a little later. Um, anyway, so we're going to... Lo- let's look back to 1st uh, Timothy here. Um, the scholars believe that this verse, verse 16, is an ancient song of the church. And that's not just because the translators uh, m- typed it out like a poem um, in our Bibles, but because of the rhythm and the meter of the original Greek, um, which I will not recite to you, although I was tempted. Um, so you can hear it. I wouldn't pronounce it correctly, so I'm not sure that it would really translate anyway, but yeah, well, that's right. Well, confidently I did not write it down, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, But anyway, anytime that you see uh, a text typed out this way, as you know, uh, the Psalms are all written out this way and a lot of the prophets are written out this way for the same reason. Uh, it's because of the reader the meter and rhythm of the original language, so they believed that it was sung. Um, one of the things that uh, we used to do in youth group, when I was a youth pastor 500 years ago, um, was to do uh, song studies. We'd take a, a popular um, song, usually a Christian song, and um, look at the lyrics and try to figure out what the author was trying to say. and uh, try to get at the meeting and think critically about um, what the author was saying in the song. And that's really the same thing that we do here every Sunday morning is taking a, a hard look at the text, thinking critically about what it says. Um, and that's uh so we're kinda I guess do the same thing that we've been doing for years. Um looking at this song. And this this song is a series of three contrasting couplets with a brief introduction, so that's three phrases that contrast each other, and the brief introduction, maybe even the title of the song, we don't know. "Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And the truth is, there's a lot going on just in this one phrase. Um, "Great indeed," we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now the greatness of the mystery is not that, uh, not that it's a, a riddle that's really hard to figure out. It's a great mystery. Um, it's that the mystery itself is of great importance. It's not a great mystery, it's a great mystery. That, yeah, well, I mean, I, like I said, I've been sick all week and uh, some of this stuff I'm not sure. We trust the Lord to, to make sense of this. Um, it's a great mystery, but what does Paul mean by mystery? Are we are not? Uh, we do not follow a mystery religion, that we are uh, chasing after unknown spirits and worshiping unknown gods. So, what does he mean by the word mystery? Well, Paul uses the word mystery several times, and it's really a transliteration. The word we say mystery. Uh, is from a Greek word. It says the same thing. It's mysterio, something like that. And Paul uses this word several times. And every time he uses the word, every time you see the word mystery used in the New Testament, Paul is always referring to the gospel. He's always referring to um, the insight into a reality that was hidden before, for ages past, but is now revealed And it's revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. It has always been and can only be made clear by revelation by the Holy Spirit. This is not a mystery that man or woman in their own strength, in their own flesh, in their own power can figure out on their own. That's not how it works. This is only revealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way we can come to faith in Jesus is when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to allow us to see and that's the mystery that is so great, that the, uh, that we can be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. The other fully loaded word in this phrase is the word godliness, which unfortunately is a very poor translation. Now I'm not a translator and uh, these folks are a lot smarter than me. I don't know why they use this word godliness because the word godliness is a different Greek word in the rest of the New Testament. But this word is better translated as piety and has even been translated as religion, which is a loaded word in English all on its own, which we deal with a lot here. What this word is, is, is a consciousness of what is due both God and men. And that mystery is great. It is the understanding and practice of a life of faith. It is the completion of God's design for mankind. And that is only a life of faith in Jesus Christ. So this whole introductory phrase in the New England translation reads something a little more like this. The revelation of the secret to the completion of God's design for people is wicked important. The secret is Jesus. He is the answer to the question. So what follows in verse 16 are three pairs of phrases that contrast each other, each pair including a human perspective and a divine perspective of the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the answer to the great mystery of life. The first couplet says he was manifested in the flesh Vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus Christ was manifested in the flesh. The eternally existent Son, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, took on flesh and walked among us, like he says in John 1. He made himself visible as a man, outwardly as human as you and me this is what it means manifested in the flesh is made visible in the flesh Before uh before Jesus took on flesh God's invisible no man ever see him before um, remember the story of uh, Elijah in the cleft of the rock right God had to put his hand over the rock and only allowed him to see the backside of his glory Because he knew that he would die if he saw him otherwise. Um, Moses did not see uh, God face to face, but just being in his presence made his face glow in the dark. So much that he had to put a pillowcase over his head so that people wouldn't see that glory fade. You know? But God was invisible to men. Not that he's Invisible, exactly, but that we cannot see him with our sinful eyes, lest we die. But God became a man and became visible to men in the person of Jesus. So that's what it means. Manifested in the flesh, he became visible in the flesh. And that's the perspective of the first half, outwardly. But the second half is the inward perspective, manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. Now, I don't know if you know this. But the English language is really clunky. Uh, and some of these, uh, they're, they're doing their best to get these words accurately, but it's clunky here. Um, and it's uh, a lot of the art, artistry, really, of the original language is lost. Um, so we'll do our best here to work with vindicated by the Spirit. Though God himself became fully human outwardly in Jesus Christ... He's still fully God inwardly and was completely righteous and without sin. See, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He was no less God when he walked here on earth. The only thing he laid aside was his glory, but he's still fully God. And on the inside, the part that we don't see, was completely righteous, completely without sin, never disobeyed God, though he wore flesh like we do vindicated by the spirit according to what I read this week should really be justified in spirit and if you're looking at the English Standard Version you'll see there's a footnote there by justified it can also say uh, I mean by vindicated and it said at the bottom justified and also can say in spirit not in the spirit the translators, per, uh, provided the word the to direct us to think of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure that's exactly what it means. That he was justified in spirit. It means something different. It's meaning that though Christ took on flesh outwardly, he's still fully righteous and justified before God inwardly, in spirit. Does that make sense? Justified in spirit. Sinless in spirit. Now this could be understood to say that though he was manifested or made visible in flesh and died like men do, he was vindicated by the Holy Spirit when he was raised from the dead, gaining justifying righteousness for himself and his people as the only son of as only the Son of God could do. Can look at it either way. Either way, it works. I gotta slow down. I'm getting out of breath just talking. Sorry. Well, how? um, Well, I lost my place. Anyway, being manifested, made visible in the flesh, and yet still is justified in spirit, or vindicated by the Holy Spirit through His resurrection, is still a wonderful truth, isn't it? And how is the wonderful truth of the incarnation, as the scholars call it, and the resurrection of Jesus? And justification of Jesus how is that made known well a second couplet answers it for us it says he was seen by angels proclaimed among the nations now the angels this is uh, when it says the word angels here it means angels so that's keeping it simple the, it's not the apostles, it's not people, it's actual angels, messengers of God. Uh, and there was lots of discussion in the things that I read this week about this phrase, of whether or not the angels had any idea of what God's plan was to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Some people say no, they didn't know until it all happened. It was all news to them. Uh, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. It's really not important. Who cares what the angels think anyway? Uh, It doesn't really change any of this truth at all. But what we can see is the testimony that the angels did give. The angels foretold Christ's birth to Joseph and Mary. They announced it to the shepherds. They ministered to Jesus' needs in the wilderness during his temptation. They met the women at the empty tomb after Jesus rose from the dead. They reminded the apostles of Jesus' instructions after he ascended to heaven. They had the awesome privilege of seeing with their own eyes the life and ministry of Jesus. Now, we, on the other hand, have the awesome privilege of proclaiming the redeeming grace that we ourselves have personally experienced. Though the angels got to see it, they didn't need to experience God's redeeming grace in the person of Jesus because they're sinless, they're different than us. The angels got to see it happening, we got to experience it, and we get to hear it, and we get to preach it. Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen and 20, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The angels got to see this. So they don't need faith even because it's a visible reality to them. And we get to hear and to trust in the truth of what we've heard. Now, we don't think about this as an advantage. Sometimes, maybe, but it is. Mm, We'd like to think that the angels have an advantage over us. They get to fly around and, you know, see God and stuff, and that's pretty cool. The good news is we'll get our turn, too. But right now we get to live a life of faith, trusting in God the way that He designed for us, fulfilling His design for humankind, having faith through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans ten seventeen says, "Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith is a tremendous privilege, and it comes from hearing the word of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ." Hebrews 11.1 1 describes faith as the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And later on in verse 6, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is an awesome privilege for us. Faith in Jesus Christ. Man, our neighbors think it's a bummer. They think it's a drag that we have to get up early on Sunday morning and not go out on the boat in the summertime. You gotta go sit in a stuffy hot building and with a bunch of other people and listen to some jerk talk. No, but this, I don't think that people understand what an awesome privilege it is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And it's because they have not heard and it's because we don't tell them but that's our responsibility hmm and though i wish i admit i wish i could have been there and seen the things that jesus did and what it was like to walk with him beside the sea of galilee there is a blessing for those who have not seen him personally and yet believe that's what jesus said himself in john 20:29 20, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. The final couplet is a contrast between where we are and where he is now. He was believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Wherever the gospel is preached in this fallen world, people will believe. I think because we don't agree with that statement is why we are reluctant to preach the gospel. We don't tell people about Jesus because we don't think they'll believe us. The good news is, it's not a matter of believing us, it's believing Him. Wherever the gospel is preached in this fallen world, people will believe. And that's not a guarantee that everybody that hears the message will believe. But people certainly cannot believe until they hear the message. Unless the gospel is preached, they won't have an opportunity. And it's in this fallen and broken world, we who believe in Jesus must remain until he returns. And our work is to proclaim the good news. His work, the work of Jesus, is complete as far as redemption is concerned. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He was taken up gloriously into glory, back into God's presence. He is perfectly united with the Father, and so is ever-present and everlasting. The great challenge facing all of mankind, both now and in ages past, is the challenge of uncracking an egg. We are all Humpty Dumpty. We have fallen because of our sin. When we fell from grace, and no amount of human effort or horses and chariots or pomp and circumstance can make it right. Nowhere in the poem does it say Humpty Dumpty was an egg. Anyway, I'm <laughs> just saying... But this mystery, this challenge of uncracking the egg, because Humpty Dumpty is a riddle and not a poem, this is exactly why the mystery of godliness is so great. It's because our need is so great. And the only one who can meet that need, the only one to answer the riddle of this life is Jesus. He is the only way Uh, He is the only one who can mend the broken pieces of our lives and give us a whole new one, a new kind of life. I'll close with a quote here from Ray Stedman. He said, you find yourself when you find Jesus. And that's absolutely true. He goes on to say, the secret of life is Jesus going with you day by day, involved in everything you do, and you drawing upon his wisdom, his power, and his daily forgiveness. He sets aside your guilt, cleansing you afresh, so that the Holy Spirit bears witness to your spirit that you are justified by faith. Thus you can proceed with calmness, courage, and confidence to take hold of life and deal with it in the midst of daily pressures. That is Christianity as it was intended. It has nothing to do with religion. Religion is man's groping, faltering, fumbling search after something bigger than himself that he can believe in. But Christianity is not that. Christianity is a living person made available to us by the Holy Spirit, granting us, granting to us the courage, the cleansing, the purity and the grace to live as God's man and God's woman in every situation. That is Christianity. That is the great mystery of wholeness in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, through faith in him, our egg can become uncracked, made whole, and made into something wholly different than we were before. Father, we thank you for the grace that makes that possible. And I pray, Lord, this morning that everyone here would grasp that great mystery, knowing that it is Jesus who took their place, took their sin, and offers forgiveness and freedom through faith in him. And, Lord, may we proclaim that truth faithfully to our friends and neighbors. Make the most of every opportunity and not wasting them. There's so much at stake, Lord. May we be comp- uh, motivated by compassion and love for those around us, not wanting to see anyone perish, but that all would come to repentance and faith in you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipie, New Hampshire, 03890.